This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Nancy and Ryder are both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. When you add a child to your family, you add joy and happiness and extra expenses. What costs can you control and what are flexible? We'll talk about the extra costs of impending parenthood while we also look for your other personal finance questions. So contact us by email. Our address is money at mpbonline.org. So good morning, uh, Nancy. We'll start with you. What uh, financial news do you have to share? Well, good morning, Kevin. Um, I'm closely watching as this new bill gets through Congress. It's the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, and uh, it is still being tweaked. It's not law yet, but there's several things in there that are important to investors as well as to individuals. Um, One is the minimum tax on corporations of 15%. And of course, there are all kinds of corporations lobbying for exemptions right now. But this relates to the fact that public corporations keep two sets of books. And one set is for shareholders, where they want to show the greatest net income. And the other set is for tax purposes, where they are allowed to take all kinds of deductions and expenses to reduce that amount. And so that's what they're trying to address to make sure that those companies pay that much. But as investors, we have to consider what will that do to overall earnings and to the share price. And a lot of our clients are on Medicare. So we are uh, watching what's going to happen as far as the cap on out-of-pocket expenses for drug costs uh, every year for $2,000. And that will be a big help for a lot of people. And connected to what we're talking about today, the expansion of subsidies for the um, health insurance exchange uh, to make it more affordable for families to have good health insurance. Am I correct in thinking that uh, the prescription drugs, uh, that is through Medicare? So we'll, yes, it's okay. only through Medicare. It's not. It does not cover private insurance at all. Okay. Uh, good morning, Ryder. What uh, what uh, financial news is on your mind today? Uh, good morning. I just want to follow up to that because it was interesting. We had a caller in the past couple of weeks who pointed out, well, can't Congress do something about inflation? And it's easy to be cynical about how Congress names bills. Everything in the Inflation Reduction Act is not actually going to reduce inflation. Some may make it worse. Some may reduce it, but it's going to take some time. But they actually did put some things in there which may help reduce inflation. Nancy touched on the health care 
healthcare, uh, negotiating drug prices. That's very important because healthcare inflation has been so much higher than other types of inflation. So bringing that down or maybe putting a cap on that might be actually effective for some folks. They've actually opened up more access on public lands for both renewables like solar and wind farms, but also more fossil fuel extraction. I know so that's going to be kind of controversial on both sides, but more energy is needed. Uh, Energy prices are very high. If we can bring more energy supply online, that should help uh, bring those prices down given the same demand. So, and, And also on the energy front, they're also extending tax credits, rebates, deductions for just regular folks. So there's going to be something for folks who are looking to do renovating their house, buying new major appliances. There's going to be tax credits for higher efficiency appliances. Appliance, And also, I do know this just from talking to uh, contractors in the business, a lot of products have higher efficiency standards coming online anyway. So kind of going to be a good time to get those new appliances for your renovation if you're doing one over the next few years i believe uh, i'm not quite sure how long those subs uh, those credits are going to last but uh, what we see oftentimes is utility suppliers also want you to have uh, energy efficient appliances and i was checking the other day we didn't have any at the moment but it's it's fairly common for our utilities if you have electricity gas uh, what have you to to offer some sort of rebate just some straight dollar rebate refund if you buy higher efficiency uh, appliances. So that's going to be a really big one for folks. And also uh, connected to that in oil pricing is uh, the extension of the credit for purchasing electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. And for the first time, they're going to offer a credit for used electric vehicle purchases. This is Money Talks. Uh, We're going to be talking today about uh, the cost of raising a child, but we've got some good news. According to a recent LendingTree.com article, Mississippi is the cheapest state annually in the U.S. to raise a child. That's uh, basic annual expenses, but the costs can start before birth. So, Nancy, tell us a little bit about some of those pre-birth costs. Well, I'm going to back up to our last CFA forecast dinner. Do you remember this, writer? when Mm -hmm. um, one of the panelists talked about meeting with, I think it was Johnson & Johnson executives, and And they told them how many pregnancy tests they were selling. So they said, get ready to see a bunch of strollers. We're going to have a COVID baby boom. And uh, Ryder, you're participating in that. I am participating (laughs) in that baby boom. And it's interesting, you know, when when you purchase, what color was your car, Kevin? You had a a green car, was that right? right? When you Mm -hmm. purchase a green car, then you see that green car everywhere you go. When you have a child, you start, (laughs) you, you really like... You see all your friends, or you see you see Baby strollers everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> everywhere I see a stroller, I'm, ooh, what kind of stroller is that? Okay, now what, now what are they working <laughs> with over there? Uh, you just see it everywhere. But uh, what are some of the things that uh, the costs involved uh, before delivery? Well, all kinds of expenses, and um, certainly if you are dealing with problems of infertility, um, that is painful emotionally, but it's also very expensive. And we've gone through that with family members uh, that we have, and it's 
awful to face that, but you really come to the realization that, uh, you know, if you have fertility problems, you may not be able to have a child unless you can afford it, unless you have the money to do that. To do in vitro fertilization is anywhere from 15000 to 30000 each time, and it's a numbers game. So it often doesn't work the first time. It often takes multiple times. If you go the adoption route, and my granddaughter is adopted, we adore her. Um, if you go the private route versus public, public is going through the foster care system, and that can be a lot cheaper in some cases, no cost at all. In some cases, you can even get subsidies depending on your state's um, policies and what is happening there in your state. But a private adoption, depending on the agency, can be anywhere from 30000 to 50000 And if you go for an international adoption where you have to travel, you can see expenses rise much beyond that. So it's very expensive having a child the natural way, um, mm-hmm. rider, what did you guys face as far as prenatal <laughs> care and pregnancy and delivery? Uh, so, and, and this is one of the interesting things to me as well, because you think, oh, well, if you just if you get pregnant and have a kid, or, you know, people talk about adoption costs being so high. People talk about in vitro fertilization costs being so high. We're starting to see more and more people using surrogates and, and the price of using a surrogate being so high. But really, even a delivery in a hospital is a very expensive thing. Now, fortunately, Fortunately, if you have health insurance, and most people do have some sort of coverage, a lot of that is taken up by the insurance company. Of course, you've got your deductible and your out-of-pocket to to pay and maybe some extra expenses, of course. But I want to say that our our bill was north of eighty thousand um, dollars. Wow! And of course, oh my gosh. that's that is what. Of course, healthcare prices are always a little bit made up. But when you say, "Oh gosh, adoption is so expensive, in vitro is so expensive, surrogacy is so expensive," yeah. So I mean, so are all so are all the other. They're they're all expensive, and and that's one of the things. There's a lot of debate right now, especially in Mississippi, about how to how to best care for, how to best bring children into this world. And you know, people looking at these costs, even when you know that your health insurance pays some of it, that is just a staggering and intimidating number. And I'm, I'm sure that that turns people off of starting a family, even if they know, oh, well, I'm only going to have to pay 10000 of this. Or, or in stories about people being hit with, oh, well, such and such a nurse who had to visit us was actually out of network, even though everything else was in network, and that was totally billed separately, and I had to pay $1,000 just for that. It's just... It's wild, and it and I, and I think that really turns people off, and that's something that's it's big no matter how you try. This is Money Talks. If you have a question for our experts, you can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We're talking about the cost of raising children. What are the costs associated with adoption in Mississippi? Well, adoption can be expensive. It doesn't have to be. In fact, many parents adopt children at little or no cost through the Mississippi foster care system, as Nancy mentioned in our first segment. Expenses totaling $1,000 to $5,000 can be subsidized or reimbursed. The most widely quoted study on the cost of having children was published by the USDA in 2015 with a adjusted for the cost of living index. In that study, they concluded the biggest cost over the life of a child at 29%, that's nearly one-third, if my math is correct, is housing. So, Nancy, what are some thoughts on housing costs? Well, the biggest is going to be your location. 
90% of our children K through 12 go through the public school system. And so families are going to be always be concerned about where they locate to get in the best school district possible for their children. And that often means paying a lot more per square foot to get in the right spot. So that's the big one. And then, of course, you need to have a big enough house to accommodate children, even though we laugh and talk about when I was growing up, we had one bathroom in the house and we all managed and we had three bedrooms, even though there were three children and my grandmother lived with us. But the expectations are a bit different now. So you have to make sure that that child has a room. And that is certainly a consideration even in uh, families where the parents are divorced. And even if that parent doesn't have Uh, full custody. They need to be able to have a home that provides a place for that child when that child is there with them. So that's all a huge consideration, making sure that the house is safe. And uh, so is it an area, again, uh, the location where you feel like uh, there's uh, low evidence of criminal activity. Uh, You want them to be safe, but you also want the house itself self to be safe and not falling down around their mm-hmm. ears. Uh, so all of those things you have to consider as far as how you provide a safe shelter for your children. Uh, Nancy, do you have any thoughts about renting versus owning for uh, young couples that are just starting out in, in a family as a family? Well, certainly if you already have children and uh, renting could be a possibility, again, if you're looking to try to locate in the best school district possible, but maybe they're not uh, enough options available. That's what we've seen lately with this housing crisis. Um, Now, the other thing that I I hear parents get so concerned, you know, Ryder has a baby in his house. Public school is a few years away. You have you have time to get there. And so often you'll see uh, younger couples with infants located in one place. But as those children get closer to school age, now they're pushing to be in a different location. So renting could be an option if you're just, again, trying to get in the best spot. And then what about uh, housing assistance? What kind of uh, assistance might young parents qualify for? Hmm, I don't know, Ryder. What can you get? Well, so there's some interesting things, and we've had the uh, Mississippi Housing Corporation talking about various things. But one, one thing to keep in mind with housing assistance, this is always, often done based on the size of your family, and a bigger family generally qualifies for larger subsidies. So that is one consideration to make. Uh, one of the things I was thinking about when you were asking about renting versus buying is that especially if you're just – one thing people like about renting it it allows a lot more flexibility and so even if you have a small apartment it allows you and you may have the opportunity to move to a larger apartment within the same building just depending on how flexible your renting situation is but that flexibility may be important for folks who are growing a family folks who are just getting started thinking about getting started uh, and also of course for folks who may not be staying in an area for that for for a very long that that flexibility that you get from renting it 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 applies to a growing family as well yeah, I think that maybe if uh, you're a young family, and as Nancy said, when your children get to be school-aged, you want to keep about the school district in mind. So maybe renting early on, trying to save a little bit of money, and then as your children get closer to uh, to school age, maybe consider mm-hmm. you know purchasing a house at that yeah. time. And and I'm glad that you brought up the the cost of raising a child report because that's the one that it's kind of inspired a lot of a, a lot of what we're going to talk about today because it's always kind of fun when that comes out. They used to try to do it, I think, every five years. I don't know. They have not updated it in a while. 
but that number comes out and people say, oh, it costs 200000 It costs $180,000 to raise a child. That's crazy. This is so expensive. But then when you, when you dig into it, one, that is over 18 years. So 180000 over 18 years, that's 10000 a year. <laughs> Still not cheap, okay? But then yeah, you look yeah, at that yeah. further, and a third of that is housing. So you think, well, I already have a house. I'm already, I'm already paying that much in rent. I'm not going to spend more. Uh, plenty of people will need to spend more, but a lot of people may already be spending a lot of that money. So, so that kind of brings that down further. A lot of these things are just what the child's use, use of resources is, but they may already be things you already have or are doing. So if you're listening this morning, what are your questions or comments about the cost of raising a child? Nancy and Ryder can take your personal finance questions as well. You can email money at mpbonline.org. So Ryder, so for many parents, the cost of child care could be a big expense. What are some thoughts on child care? Yes. And so one of the interesting things about that, Nancy mentioned public schools, of course, it's effectively free. Of course, sending a child to school is not necessarily free, especially if you need to drive, drop them off, pick them up, pay for extracurriculars, um, uniforms. There are costs. But one of the most expensive times uh, is in those early years. If you do, if, if, if they're not being watched by one of the parents or a family member or you know, something like that, if you're sending a child to daycare, that can be very expensive. They, they're fairly well regulated. They have, they have to have a lot of staff per child. So that does make them, even though it's not you know, it's not college professor level, but the, you have a lot of staff who has to be paid to, to watch your children. And even in a market like Jackson, you can pay. I have seen, I believe, the, the most expensive daycare we have looked at here. I'm not going to name names. It's like $1,000 a month. Mm. This report says daycare might be $2,000 a year. If you're going to that one, it is a lot more. And I've heard of just absolute nightmare stories in larger cities of it being much more expensive and also much harder to get into just because there's not a whole lot of daycare providers and there's a whole lot of demand. If you have a working family, if you have two parents working, there's a lot of demand for that service. So there's a number of things. Obviously, if, if you have a parent staying at home if you have multiple kids that may be worth it if they if they were the lower income spouse perhaps um a family who can watch them uh, sharing daycare with uh, or sharing sharing child care with other families so perhaps splitting time with some other families and also there are part-time daycares there are I've I've seen ones that you you just pay for the time you use so if it's if it's a couple hours a, a couple hours every morning for a couple of days a week, then you are only paying for that. So there's there's a lot of ways to be flexible with that. But that is a big thing that parents also have to plan ahead for. You, you can't just you can't just wait until the day you go back to work and drive up to a daycare and expect them to be able to take your kid. That's just just not going to work. I don't know. I mean, I just think back to what the cost was when I was raising my daughter, and it doesn't even compare to what these families are facing now. I I don't know how you afford it. It means that you have to be earning quite a good Mm -hmm. living to be able to carve out that care for your child and justify doing that because um, it it takes a toll on the family managing all of those things. Um, So I I wish we could find a way to make it more efficient and that shows that we really value taking care of our children and 
giving some help to some of those young families. Um, certainly, there may be tax credits available to them, um, but still, it's not enough to get you through. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Looks like we have a caller on the line, so we say good morning to John, who's called in from Tupelo. Go ahead, John. You're on the air with us. Uh, yes, I was just uh, calling to throw a little something out there to all the newly expecting parents. <clears throat> There's a lot of expense that you incur, and that's in the front of your mind uh, because they're pressing and they're now and they're immediate. But one thing I would like to encourage everyone to start thinking about is college. Uh, it's a long ways away. It's not in the front of your mind, but I've seen a lot of people that they, they get their life in order, they get a retirement up, and then they got everything planned out. But then their kid graduates high school, and it's like, oh, my God, we have to send this kid to college now. Uh, so I happen to work for the state. Um, so the first one of the best decisions I ever made is when my son was born, he'll be seven this year, but we enrolled in what's called the Impact College Savings Plan. Now, I'm not sure if it's only for state employees. Nancy can probably help out it's a little not, bit better than I can. But what's great about it is, you know, it, it, it would be good to put just put money up every month, you know, for your kid to go to college when that day comes. But the good thing about the Impact Program is when you begin, it locks in the current tuition rate. So 18 years later, when your son goes to school or daughter goes to school, you've locked in that rate. So um, I don't know, just if you got any state employees out there listening or available. Mm-hmm. John, I think we might have lost you. But, yeah, those uh, two Please. programs through the state treasurer's office, if I'm not mistaken, That's are correct. available to, to anyone. Yes, those are available to anybody. And I'm sure Liz is furiously looking for the last time we discussed that. I, I feel yeah. like we only did it just just about a month or so ago. Um, saving for college is, is that's, that's huge and that's hugely important. And that is one of the things when we talk about raise the cost of raising a child, the, uh, the report we're looking at specifically states, it does not include any college savings. One of the things I always want to mention is that college, uh, education, the cost of education has increased at a faster rate than most things. I believe healthcare, like we discussed at the top of the show, is the only thing that has a higher inflation rate over over like a 40- or 50-year period. And so we don't know what your education expenses are going to be, but they're going to be high. Also, the number of ways to pay for things, the sticker price versus what folks are actually paying, there are scholarships, there are grants, there are loans. The, all of that, that landscape has changed dramatically even in the past 10 to 15 years. Uh, the loan programs, they're a lot better. They have a lot more forgiveness. But of course, you're having to spend a lot more Anyway, so just like with daycare, you can't expect to rock up and just drop drop your baby off. Um, you you can't just wait for that kid to graduate college and then just drive up to Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and drop them off. You gotta you gotta have a plan for that, and I, that's a that's a very good point from John. Uh, another thing that our producer Liz Gill reminded me of is that we did a show not too long ago about the community college system in Mississippi, and that is a low-cost alternative for higher education uh, for uh, for students as well. And Liz tells me that she will round up all of the shows that we've done on community colleges and the uh, those uh, savings plans mm-hmm. uh, that are available here and post that as uh, information uh, on when we post this episode. Yes, and, and those plans, those are called 529. 
design plans. There are two in Mississippi, and they are both run from the, through the state treasurer's office. Anyone can access them. In fact, you don't even have to live in Mississippi to access them. But there is one, the impact, which John mentioned, is you prepay. Mississippi prepaid affordable college tuition, I believe is what that stands for. You, they, based on the, the age of your child when you start and how you want to pay, either lump sum, monthly, annually, etc., if you want to pay it over a couple of years or over the rest I mean, before they hit college age, it locks in that price, like he mentioned. And that price is is the full tuition uh, for any Mississippi college. And so uh, you but, can you but, can but, buy. You want to you want to explain how you can know. buy different credits? No, I was just going to say, don't forget to tell everyone that you don't have to That's go right. to Mississippi schools for them to be used. Nancy, so I was just getting started. Things. Just, okay. just getting started. <laughs> um, so these are pretty. These are really great plans. I mean, they and they do have a way of comparing the Mississippi tuition to other states' tuition. If you go out of state, you know, say to a public university out of state, say you can buy it in chunks. So you can buy one year of tuition. You can buy. I believe they. I'm not sure if they have it yet, but they were talking about as getting as granular as buying a credit hour at a time. You mm. can buy at a university or at a community college that is transferable to other states, although it's not going to be perfectly one-to-one necessarily, so you may owe something there. If you get a scholarship, I believe you essentially just get that money back, so you're not not punished for getting a scholarship. Uh, And so pretty flexible about that, uh, but you are locking in that tuition price. Did I hit all of the important points on that, Nancy? You got um, to hold me to account here. No, I think so. And don't forget <laughs> Max, which is the other plan that works like a 401k. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not prepaying the tuition, and it also will cover room and board, which Impact mm-hmm. does not. And with Max, you just put in whatever you can put in along the way, and you choose the investment mm-hmm. option. Many times we uh, suggest people choose the option that is connected to that child's age. Mm-hmm. And whatever it grows to is what you have to spend on college. It grows tax-free and is withdrawn. The growth is not taxed on the federal level uh, or the state level. Uh, and if you don't spend the money, there's just there's there's tax and a penalty tax due. It's that's a super flexible plan, especially if you just don't think you can commit to the impact payment. You can pass it from child to child exactly, uh, and. It's a great place for if you set that up and you have grandparents who want to pay in. Grandparents love paying college expenses. They want to put in an account for college. You've got an account for them. They can just throw it in there. There are some limits to how much you put in. There's a total limit, uh, but it is overall, it, we, we often recommend that for folks just because it's the most flexible. They have the most control over it. Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Kudos to our producer, Liz Gill. She always uh, digs through the uh, Money Talks archives and pulls up past episodes that you can listen to uh, when we talk about something that we've discussed in the past. Uh, Nancy, you and I have been doing this show so long, it's good somebody remembers all this stuff because I'm not sure I can remember last week, much less, say, 2018. I'm not sure I can remember what I had for breakfast this morning, Kevin. <laughs> but the February 6, 2018 Money Talks did discuss child care options for your budget, and we'll have a link to that show uh, in this show's podcast. 
So we are talking about the cost of raising children today on Money Talks. We've gone through housing and child care. The next big ex- expense is food. Ryder, do you have any information on that formula shortage that uh, we were dealing with recently? Yes. So that was a there, – there was a formula plant in Michigan that was shut down in February after a, a couple – I believe there are two infant deaths which were suspected to be or were related to their formula, suspected that they had contaminated formula. So that plant was shut down for all sorts of reasons, all sorts of things. They had to go through the process of making sure they were – you know, up up to compliance, but that meant that there was a lot of formula not on the shelves. So uh, it went down to, I believe, folks were saying only about seventy percent of the normal amount in stock. And that shortages don't occur when you have a huge, drastic drop. They they occur when it, it dips down to yeah seventy percent. Like that means that the specific brand that you needed, because there are different formulas for different babies who have different needs uh, or different wants. And so that was a that was a big problem for formula fed babies and that went on for a very long time that plant did reopen i uh, had a temporary shutdown and it was reopened i believe as of now it was open uh, last month so that was a pretty big deal uh as part of that crisis which i, I believe it seemed like it took a long time for these pieces to kind of come together but the they allowed overseas formula to be shipped in to the U.S. Just the re- regulations on infant formula are such that it, it's very difficult for an overseas factory to be approved to sell in the United States. So they allowed overseas factory to ship to the United States. They allowed uh, WIC benefits. That's uh, the women, infant, and children uh, part of, I believe, Medicaid. Uh, to they have vouchers for formula they allowed those to cover more brands and so they and they also push other manufacturers to increase production so just lots of different things to try to get produ- production back up to normal to get stock back on the shelves but that was that was a really big issue for for a long time and it, it's still it's getting better I, I don't know that it that uh, is over yet uh, but it also looks like they put a maximum allowed uh, purchase, so that's good, so that people won't begin to hoard things and you yes. know, that everyone has hopefully enough to at least get by or whatever. Yes. We're talking about the cost of raising a child on Money Talks. So we'll stay on the topic of food, Nancy. That's an expense, I guess, where families can be a bit flexible. Well, if you have a child under the age of 12, it makes it a lot easier when you go to the restaurants because you can order from the children's menu. But when they become teenagers, all bets are off. They're going to eat you out of house and home. And it's funny, I've had many conversations with friends who noticed when their uh, children headed off to college how suddenly their grocery bill dropped dramatically. Uh, But instead, now they're sending food to some faraway place or money to cover food to some Mm -hmm. faraway place. So um, feeding children, I mean, they're growing. And um, certainly when you hit those teenage years, that's probably the most expensive. And you're really going to have to figure out how to stretch your grocery budget, especially now when we're seeing such um, inflation within that food sector. And Families are really struggling to figure out how they're going to do it to feed them because they are just, um, you know, constantly eating all the time. But that's just the nature of being a teenager. I think the number one thing on food is always it is cheaper to prepare food at home. 
and it is oh, yeah. cheaper to plan ahead. I, I mean, even just personally, I can't tell you the difference that planning all of my meals ahead for the week and doing all the grocery shopping ahead for the week makes a huge difference because one, I'm not spending a ton of time trying to get to the grocery store after work and forgetting what I wanted and getting extra this or extra that or duplicating things that I already had. But going, looking at the refrigerator uh, every weekend and seeing what I have, seeing what I can add to it, seeing what I need to replace, uh, and just making a plan and preparing food at home. I still have time on the weekends and, you know, I still can budget for, for dining out because that is one of the things I really enjoy doing. Uh, but being uh, disciplined about preparing food at home and planning ahead, huge, huge, huge difference. And also, I don't think it's as valuable to me as being a single person, but the the places like Sam's and Costco, those sorts of things, uh, where you maybe could buy some things in bulk, that might help out if you have uh, some children at home that mm-hmm. you're trying to keep uh, satisfied. Today, we're talking about raising uh, the costs of raising a family. How much is childcare here in Mississippi? According to a Mississippi Department of Human Services 2021 survey, average weekly full-time rates for child care in Mississippi range from $125 for infant care to $111 for preschool care. When they enrolled full-time care, rates for school-age children average $102 per week. So not $1,000 a month, but that's right. still a sizable chunk of, mm-hmm. uh, of money. So we are talking about the cost of raising a child today. Nancy, when it comes to schooling options, uh, maybe when they get through daycare, what are some options that parents have there? Well, as I mentioned earlier, 80% of our children K through 12 go through the public system. Um, but uh, as Ryder alluded to, that's not going to mean free of charge and no cost because there's still all kinds of expenses related to public schooling, depending on the activities they participate in, uh, in uh, lunchroom expenses, all kinds of things, transportation, you name it. But for those who are choosing private school, you need to think carefully about doing that because what often will happen if you are putting your money uh, towards private education for K through 12, you may not be preparing for anything after that. You may not be able to. Um, And so that is the big concern that I have in in going that route. But for some families, there is a reason for them to do it, uh, either because of their location or their personal uh, belief system that that's what they choose to do. But it does mean it's a bigger burden when you get ready for college. Know that while 90% use public for K through 12, 80% actually use public institutions for higher ed. So that's really interesting as well. So most of us go the public route, not because it is free, but because it is cheaper. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. As we get close to the end of this show, we've gotten an email here uh, that says, we are anticipating a COLA increase next year. Three questions. One, does this also increase the amount someone that starts Social Security in the future will receive? Two, if I'm holding off on starting Social Security until 70, would it be better to start Social Security the end of this year in order to qualify for the COLA increase? And three, do you have to be on Social Security for a certain number of months to qualify for the full COLA next year? So let's start back to question one when it talks about a COLA increase. Does it also increase the amount someone that starts Social Security in the future will receive? I believe it does because um, it factors into those future benefits. It raises everybody's. Mm -hmm. So I know when I've looked at what my benefits are going to be, that changes 
simply because the change in cost of living, in addition to what I'm also adding to that system along the way. So, yes, uh, I wouldn't worry about when you start. You just need to consider, do I really need that income or can I delay? This person mentioned delaying to age 70. That's the last time you would want to delay. Um, But from early retirement through age 70, 62 to age 70, it compounds at 8% a year. That's a huge benefit. So do you think it would, if, if the person is turning 70 early next year, would it be better to start the end of this year to get that COLA increase? Well, no. I, I think their benefit would increase, right? I mean, It's going to be increased. Okay, so yes, it's a moot point because you're going to get that money either way. Right. Okay. Right, and, and I think it works out too, right or correct me if I'm wrong, um, two-thirds of 1% every month that mm-hmm. you delay. Yes, and that's how you get to the 8% uh, annually. Yes. So, you know, you're talking about somebody uh, looking at delaying it a matter of months, Mm -hmm. and they need to translate that to dollars to to just ask themselves the question, is it worth it? Yeah, at this point, we're already in August. There's only a few months until early next year. It sounds like they were planning on waiting until 70. It does get you a little bit more. And one of the things we always think about is how important is the Social Security in your future future financial picture? If that's going to make up a large amount of your retirement income or all of your retirement income, yes, it is more important even just to get those small increases because that is locking in inflation-adjusted income for the rest of your life. Uh, so that if, if you're planning on waiting anyway – The COLA increase is not what's going to sway you. And then the final one, do you have to be on Social Security for a certain number of months this year to qualify for the full COLA next year? My guess would be no. Am I correct on that? I don't believe so. I believe so. Because, again, it's just a benefit. It's it's an increase in your benefit, so you should right. be able to get it no matter uh, – right. once you qualify for Social Security, yeah. no matter how long you've been on it. And, and I, I forget the month. Uh, we could, of course, refer back to our wonderful, wonderful Social Security episodes with uh, a friend of the show, Sean Mercer. But the increase come does come at a certain time of year. They calculate it at a certain time of the year, and then it, it, everyone gets gets it at a certain time. Uh, but what it's doing is it is going back and looking at all of what Social Security is, is looking at all of your incomes, and it's in adjusting those for inflation every single year. So again, it will look back at your entire earnings that it is using for the calculation and apply that adjustment to all of those earnings years. So that's why it's not that's why it's not a game of oh do I need to start now to get that cola again. That cola gets applied to everything anyway. <clears throat> Got a couple minutes left and we had left off our discussion on uh schooling expenses and I think that the sales tax holiday was sort of created mm-hmm. to help parents out with uh school supplies. So that's certainly one of the expenses. What are some other things uh th- those expenses go along with schooling? Uh, yes. Yeah, so on the sales tax holiday, yes, main thing was uh, school supplies and a lot of clothes, uh, sort of accessories, not so much, but a lot of clothes and school uniform type stuff uh, were, were uh, included in that. One of the things to think about is is just the cost to you on a daily basis of how does this change your schedule? Uh, we're thinking about that in, in our house a lot as well, just because we both get up early to go to work. And well, if you have to drop the child off at daycare, you have to wait until they can be picked up at the, by the school bus. That may change 
your situation and if that's a work situation that's changing, that that's that's a pretty big decision for folks. So uh, thinking about just the 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 changes in lifestyle is in some ways a cost. Uh, transportation, if you're having to drive your child to a school that's maybe out of the way, again, that adds a cost, uh, especially with gas prices, what, what as they, uh, well, as they were a few months ago. And those are all costs that you have to include. Just, just what does it cost to actually get to that school? You know, I've got about a minute left, but one cost that I hadn't talked about that I think especially uh, when a child of your age, uh, not your child's age, uh, is uh, is clothing. <laughs> I mean, because your kid's going to grow and they, yes. they'll go through that clothing. Nancy, I bet every you've been through that. Every three months. Huh? <laughs> yeah, every three months. Whole new wardrobe. Um, right, Ryder? But I want you to make sure the child always has a good pair of shoes. Uh, that I'm a firm believer that if, you know. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna look to Kevin for for fashion advice for uh for for my child when we start putting them putting them in shoes. Yeah, no, uh, uh, clothes and of course they are they may spit up. They may they may have a wet diaper and some clothes, and you know you might have to turn them over a couple times a day. Uh, whereas uh, we have a little more control over those things. You know, as uh, we pointed out earlier in the show, we have a huge backlog of uh, episodes to listen to. So if you're ever looking for something money-related, why don't why you try to check out our archive first and see if you can see if we've talked about it? Because we have covered a lot of topics over the years uh, that it relates to personal finance. And you can always, again, subscribe to our uh, uh, podcast using your favorite podcasting app. So lots of information available to you about personal finance from Money Talks over the years. That's going to wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, one way to find it is to go to moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast, as I mentioned, by searching for Money Talks on your favorite podcasting app. Our show is produced by Liz Gill, and our call screener today was Charles Arnold. For Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell. Join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org.